So what do you do for a living? That's a question that's often asked when you're trying to get to know someone. It provides you insight into what they do, maybe what they're passionate about. And chances are, if it's asked to you, it's not that big of a deal. When it's asked to a minister, it gets a little tricky. Because I'm a proud minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but I'm not entirely sure that the person asking me that question is as proud of me as I am of myself. And it might cause a little bit of tension. I've had a few different reactions to it. Some of them are quite comical. My favorite is this, is the, what do you do for a living? Oh, I'm a minister. I go to church too. And (laughs) the first time that this happened, I was like, oh, what church do you go to? I didn't catch the hint. The hint is, hey, preacher boy, shut it. I I don't want to expound upon it. The conversation is over I just don't want you preaching to me, right? That, that, I learned that very quickly. So when it's very quickly back, I go to church too. That's the signal that this conversation's over. Talk about sports or something else, right? But it is true when you want to know something about someone, you ask them, what do you do for a living? And so when we look at the Apostle Paul, we say, what, what did he do? I hope that you and your family have enjoyed the story. I hope that it's brought you together. I hope that it's maybe given you some insights that you haven't had before. Uh, It's not necessarily a fault, but one of the difficulties of the story is you can't really touch on everything. And that's why chapters like this one, when you look at it, it's two-thirds of the New Testament. And now you have to get a 20 or so minute sermon out of two-thirds of the New Testament. And you have a lot to summarize when it comes to Paul's mission. Um, But I was taught in Bible college that to be a good sermon, you have to have three points. So I said, what is it that I need to, what three things can I find? And by all means, this probably doesn't summarize everything. You probably have things that that you can say that are accurate as well as what I'm saying. But I found that Paul really, his mission, what he did, kind of falls in line with the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is what Jesus says, and we see that Paul's mission, what he does, is goes out and lives that out. We're going to be in Acts chapter 17, and then we're going to be in 2 Timothy 1, if you want to go ahead and turn there. But before we get in there... Oftentimes when we look at biblical characters, we say, that's great, but that was him. Like, that was Paul, the super Christian. That was Paul, the guy that, that we will never be anything like. And yes, Paul was a great evangelist. We have a large part to thank Paul for the fact that we are Christians today. But Paul was the first one to admit I do the things that I don't want to do, and the things that I want to do, I don't do. And he was the first one to say, I'm the worst sinner of them all. But Paul didn't get caught up on his deficiencies or his downfalls or his faults. He instead said, there's a gospel that needs to be brought to people. And even though I'm broken, it's my job to make sure that this gospel gets out. So the first thing that we see Paul do is that he relates the gospel in order to reach the lost. In Acts 17, we find Paul in Athens, and he's waiting uh, for Silas and Timothy. And we'll read along. It's on the screen if, if you don't have a Bible in front of you. When Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. 
So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace, day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. <coughs> Excuse me. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. And he was. Jesus wasn't from around there. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Uh, then they uh, took him and brought him to the meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we want to know what they mean. All, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. What follows, what follows is not the same sermon that he probably preached in Thessalonica. And it's probably not the same sermon that he preached in Corinth. It wasn't like Paul had a book and he said, oh, this one worked great. Let's try to use this again. No, Paul went to different places and he said, how can I relate the gospel to where I am? And so what he sees when he gets to Athens is this place is full of idols. And what he sees is these people really like talking about new ideas. And so he has a new way of life. And it's a brand new idea. And for him, he says, that is the avenue that I have to relate the gospel to where I am. Paul didn't keep it for himself. He didn't try to say the same thing over and over again. He found where he was. And he said, the gospel can reach these people. And this is how we're going to go about doing it. And so this is the sermon that Paul preaches. It's a little less than 20 minutes. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. Now what you worship as something unknown, I'm going to proclaim to you. <coughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. Paul looks around and he says, Here is something that I can use to bring about the message of the gospel. The Athenians were uh, very religious people. They were. They had all these idols made of all these different things. Some were in the shape of animals, some in the shape of people, some were simply gold slabs. They had all these things just laying around, but they were very religious, which means they acknowledged that, you know what, if there is an afterlife, I don't want to get up there and say, we didn't have anything for you, God, that I didn't know. So we're going to make this one so that when we get up there and we say, oh, no, we worshiped you. We just didn't know your name. It's right here. And Paul says, there is a God that you don't know. And let me tell you about him. He relates the gospel to where he is. It says, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives life or gives all men life <coughs> and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth and he determined the time set for them in the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out to, for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move, move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we have, are his offspring. Imagine the hearing of their own 
poets being told back to them. And Paul saying, listen, you're already on to something. Let me show you the truth that comes out of it. Imagine the impact of going somewhere and people saying, yeah, we do think like that. And this is what Paul says. He says, Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. I imagine him, while saying this, pointing around to all the idols that he referenced earlier. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, for he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of all this, of this to all men by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. And at that, Paul left the council. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is, is kind of the, the high mark. Right? That's probably the best sermon. It is probably the best sermon that, that we've ever heard. Peter's Sermon on the Day of Pentecost, also a very, very good message. But this one shows, Paul shows, that I can take the same gospel and I can relate it to people where they are. Because Paul understood that the gospel isn't just for one person. The gospel can transcend social economic statuses. The gospel can transcend races. It can transcend nations. It can go everywhere. It just needs to be related. One of the things that happened to early European missionaries is that they went down to Africa to, to, to spread the gospel. But what they did was go down there and say, you need to become basically a European Christian. Right? You need to adopt the things that we want you to adopt. It needs to look like us and do the things that we did. And they were literally chased out of town for it. They realized that we can take this gospel to them and we can relate it to where they're at. We don't need to bring us and our baggage with it. Our rules, our laws, they don't need to look like us in Christian, as Christians. They just need to see the gospel and have it in their culture. Paul understood that reaching the lost meant that we have to relate the gospel. You see, on one end of the spectrum, there, there, there's some who do this, right? I mean... They, they like the gospel, and they want to hold it really close because it's dangerous out there. It's dangerous out there. When people get mad when Chick-fil-A says something. It's dangerous out there. We have to, we have to keep this to ourselves. We can't dirty the gospel. This gospel can reach and change lives. But there's an other side of the spectrum, and I'm going to take a side road and there, there are a lot of people who look at this and they say, oh, this means we need to be relevant. And so we have churches who try to be relevant. They will say the things that will make listening, what, they will say the things that listening ears want to hear. It's a good thing there's nothing like that in the Bible that says not to do that, right? They will say things that listening ears want to hear. They will put on these attractions in order to put tails in seats. And they become a mile wide and an inch deep. Because they're being relevant, they're not relating the gospel. But sometimes we do it too. 
I might not go here during all three services. It will depend on how this goes. All right. Uh, men, if you are with your, your non-Christian or your struggling Christian friends, and the words coming out of your mouth and the things coming into it are of the same variety and same frequency as those you are trying to save, you are not relating the gospel, you are not being relevant, you're being sinful. Women, Lord help me, women, (laughs) reading Fifty Shades of Grey or going to a movie like Magic Mike is not being relevant. It is not relating the gospel. It's being sinful. And what the Bible teaches is that sin and God cannot coexist. It's the problem that started in the garden. And so you cannot justify the things that you are doing with people and continuing to sin by saying, one day the gospel is going to come out of me sinning with these people and being cool and hanging out and being relevant. It's not. And so if there is one side where people are doing this to the gospel, there's other ones where they're doing this. Paul doesn't go to Roman bathhouses to spread the gospel. In Athens, Paul didn't worship idols for three months and then all of a sudden say, hey, got something for you. Paul lived by the standards that God had given him. But it didn't stop him from going to the places where people were. In the marketplaces, in the synagogues. We find Paul going to places where people were, but not indulging in the sinful actions of the people around him. There's a balance. And is it an easy thing to do? No, it's not. But in order to relate the gospel to reach the lost, we must know that it's not about being relevant. It's about reaching people where they are. Paul wasn't satisfied, though. Paul wasn't satisfied with people just coming to know Jesus. Paul didn't go from place to place, dunk them, and leave them. Paul had something more that he wanted to accomplish. And the most evident of these places, or of these instances, I can't even talk, why am I preaching? Uh, Is his relationship with Timothy. Paul knew that not only is it good to reach the lost, but after that you need to mentor believers in order to mold leaders. Paul, in 2 Timothy, and for all we know, this, this is the last thing that we have that Paul writes to Timothy before he's killed. For all we know, this is the last thing that Timothy receives from Paul. And so he's pouring out encouragement. He, he's pouring out, this is what you need to do, because so quickly, you know, less than a hundred years after Christianity begins, people are already starting to branch off, and people are already starting to do their own thing, and they're already starting to fall back, and he says, Timothy, don't do this. And so he goes through from 3 to 12 and says, listen, remember the gift that God's given you. Remember that God is greater than anything else. Don't go and do what everyone else is doing. And then he says this, What you've heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching, with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. 
what you've heard from me. Can I ask you a question? Have our kids or our youth or the adults that are younger than you heard from you? The church in 15 years is going to be radically different, at least makeup-wise, than the church is from now. If you've been a Christian for any given point in time, it's your biblical duty to pour into those who are going to come after you. And it's not molding them to try to make the church of the future look like the church of the past. It's taking the gospel that was so powerful, that is so powerful, and making sure that they're learning about it, that they're growing in it, that they're being mature in their faith. Paul says to Timothy, God has given you a deposit. And when God invests in something, God knows everything which means he knows that if he puts a deposit in, you are more than capable of returning an investment. And so he says, you have been given this deposit from God. You need to act on it. You need to make sure this doesn't return to him void. Stay strong. Listen, if you aren't in a mentoring relationship, and this doesn't have to be one-on-one, it may be generation to generation, we need to be a church where People gather together and there's mentoring going on. There's love going on. And there's also, when needed, correction going on. That's the third thing that Paul does. Paul challenges the church in order to create community. Uh, The scripture for this is two-thirds of the New Testament. Uh, Paul, number one, he's concerned about the relationship that the church as a whole has with Jesus. He's very concerned about it. He doesn't want it to break. And that's why we never see in Scripture Paul write and say, hey, guys, what's up? Because Paul knows what's up. He's got his finger on the pulse of what's going on in that church or in that person. And so he, has, he knows what's going on. And that's why he says, hi, this is Paul. And we need to talk, Corinth, about the divisions among you. Some of you say, I'm, I'm in Paul's church. Some of you say, I'm in Peter's church. Some of you say, I'm in Apollos' church. Let me tell you, we are all on the same team. Therefore, you are all on the same team. And the only person you should be following is God. Paul made sure that the communities that he planted weren't just left to fend for themselves. He invested in those communities to make sure that they were growing as close to God as possible. But he also has his, his finger on the pulse to such a degree that if you notice, Paul calls a lot of people out. Right? I mean, it, wasn't, it isn't, so I heard that so-and-so, that this person, I'm not going to name names, is doing this. No, Paul says, this person among you is messing up. Because Paul understood something. Paul understood that in order for people to, be, to grow as leaders... They need to be corrected, and they need to be loved back into restoration when they fall short. The best example I can, I can do this is if you go to a wedding, there's always that, what's the most awkward point in the wedding? It's when the preacher says, if there's anyone here who does not believe these two should be married, speak now or forever hold your peace. Now, when you watch movies, you think that if whoever says something, the wedding's over. That's not it. What the purpose of this is, is translated, if there's anyone here 
who's not going to do everything in your power to make sure that this stays together, speak up so they know not to count on you. What we witness in here, up here, in the creek on Saturday, is a marriage between God and his people. And we are here for more than by sitting in that pew, by standing on that bank. You say to whoever gives their life to Christ, I will do everything in my power to make sure that you stay in community with God like you are right now. And in a society where you're not supposed to be tattletales, let me tell you this. You can look. Nowhere in scripture, scripture does Paul, Jesus, Peter, or anyone look at sin and say it's just a phase. Sin was a real issue. Do we do it in love? Of course. But we need to be people that restores relationships. The relationship with brothers and sisters. The relationship between a person and the church. The relationship between a person and God. The relationship between the church in general and God. It's our biblical duty to make sure that this is happening. Paul wasn't settled, or didn't settle for just believing. And he didn't settle for, you're a better Christian than some, so that's okay. Paul invested his life into other people to make sure that they could grow. I know that there was a lot today, and so I don't know exactly what the application for you is. Maybe it's that you need to quit being relevant and being relational for the gospel. Maybe it's you need to find someone younger than you or a brother and sister and help mold them into being the future of this church, which, by the way, also means that they're part of the presence of the church. Or maybe it's you need to have a restoration in this community with people that you've wronged. Or maybe it's that you need to go to that person who has fallen down and not just say, you're messed up, and walk out, but to reach down, grab them, and say, let's get out of here and look for restoration. I don't know if any of that applies to you, but there's one thing I, I will challenge. On the back of your insert is a new program that we're starting called Adopt the Top. This church is less than half a mile from Western Kentucky University, where spirit makes the master. We, it's right there. And we haven't done a good job of reaching it. We've started different times throughout our 50-year history. We've started these programs to try to bring them in. And yes, sometimes when they come in, we keep them on Monday nights. But too often they come for a couple Sundays and we don't see them. And when we ask them what happened, it was, I just didn't feel connected. Adopt a top is this, that you prayerfully, prayerfully consider with your family committing to once a week, inviting a college student or a certain number of college students into your home or taking them out to eat. Because let's face it, if we're going to reach people where they're needed, college kids are hungry. All right? 
Let's just call it what it is. We've all been, you know, we've been there. So we can reach them there, and we can enter in conversations about the gospel. Or maybe they're, they're a Christian, but we know that the world that, that, that used to happen where it was pretty easy to be a Christian, it ain't that way no more. We know that, right? And so maybe it's a mentoring thing that goes on. Or maybe through this, they're going to see it's okay to live my faith. And they can be restored in the community. If that's you, if that's the application, you can come talk to me, but there's a sign-up sheet where you're going to sign up your name, your contact information, and how many hungry college kids you want to take underneath your wing for a year.